Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Episode numero 30. We have reached a landmark here in our podcasting careers, Julio. Yes, we've been building up to this episode. We have. It seems like for the entire run of the show. I think within the first five episodes, I had brought up the A-team and how we needed to do it. The A-team is your... your, The A-team is for you like Die Hard 5 is for me. Yes. Which means that we're due. Yes, I guess eventually we'll have to do Die Hard 5. Yes, uh, but this being uh, episode number 30, uh, it means that it's a gray area episode. Uh, that means that we take a movie that, unlike most of the movies we do on the show, is not super high or super low on Tomatoes. Instead 47%. Yep, right down the middle, and that means that we are not going to agree here, at least not in this first part. Uh, Alex, as anybody who's listened to a handful of episodes of the show, he's... <laughs> An unabashed fan of the movie, so of course he's going oh, to yeah. defend this disappointing piece of shit that I just had to sit through. Uh, obviously, I am on the negative side. I was, and this was your first viewing, correct? Yes, that is my first viewing. But I have to point out that I am a, a huge fan of the original show. I grew up with that show, and maybe that's coloring my view. But uh, I don't know. Let's let's get into. Well, before we get into it, we have quotes, mixed quotes from a lot of people. Uh, Joshua Rothkopf from Time Out says, No one's coming to a big screen version of the lunk-headed TV show expecting the Hurt Locker. But would it have killed the editors to let a single shot breathe for more than two seconds? Michael DeQuinna from TheMovieReport.com says, The expression brainless summer blockbuster is often used as a pejorative. But energetic and entertaining popcorn like this shows that what the hell energetic and entertaining popcorn films. I guess <laughs> that's what he means. Mm-hmm. He missed the films part. Popcorn films like this show that it isn't necessarily a bad thing. Amen. Uh, Rich Pippin from Sky Movies says it's almost as if an internet fan club wrote a script and then hired a screenwriter to add serious movie stuff like character <laughs> arcs. <laughs> R.L. Schaffer from IGN DVD. Oh, I thought you were going to say R.L. Stein. Yes. R.L. Stein. Goosebumps. I loved it. It gave me goosebumps. Uh, R.L. Schaefer from IGN DVD says, The A-Team is a can of soda. Empty calories, full of fizz. But like a good cold can of soda on a hot summer day, it's curiously refreshing, tasty, and it hits the spot. Goddamn right. Anthony Quinn from Independent UK. Overkill is underrated. Which that has... a new connotation independent uk oh yeah well hashtag you know, brexit current affairs that's that's our strong suit here that, that's what we go for here. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> overkill is underrated says team leader hannibal smith liam neeson ominously and the next two hours proceed to give overkill its due well to be fair that line is in the last 10 minutes of the movie so that guy has it backwards. E- even though i agree with him yeah that's a good your facts check man come on <laughs> 
Stanley, that's why the UK just fell apart because these guys just can't get their shit together for a review of a movie, let alone running a country. Uh, Stanley A. Miller II from Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Jesus. Takes the spirit of the series, straps a bunch of rockets to it, crashes it through a brick wall, and has it make out with Jessica Biel. The second. On point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, we'll have more on the second half of the show. But for now. All right. Yes, it is the A-Team. And I am excited because I got to not only watch this movie again, I got to show it to Julio for the first time, and I get to talk about it and what will now be on the internet. Therefore, it will live forever. Yes. Anybody searching for the A-Team will now come upon our review, and there will be... Uh, they'll have to do some deep Googling, but they'll find it eventually. Eventually. You know that the good stuff is never on the first page of results. No. You have to go to like page 10 to really get into the stuff that's worth it. Exactly. So the A-Team film uh, starts off with Liam Neeson, Colonel Hannibal, being held captive by a couple of uh, Mexican federales. Uh, they're just beating the dog piss out of them. Starting with the racism right away. Well, uh, they're going, you know, just beating the shit out of him, trying to get some information from him. Uh, of course, you know, we know this is one of the main characters, so right off the bat, he's able to finagle his way out of these handcuffs. They sick a couple of uh, ravenous dogs on him. Um, he retreats into the shadows and ends up handcuffing the dogs together. It's cute. I enjoy, I enjoy this opening scene here. I did not, and I'll tell you why. Even though I should have known from the beginning, but it wasn't. It didn't hit me until it started happening that I am just so sick of Liam Neeson as a badass. It's it's what I would call the Angelina Jolie syndrome. It was like the first time you saw Angelina Jolie in I don't know what it was Tomb Raider. I don't know one of the gazillion Hackers. badass. No, no, like one of those roles where she's just like gone in sixty seconds. Was it? I never saw it. But even, she had blonde dreadlocks. Was she like kicking ass? And she made out with Nicolas Cage. She was living on the edge, obviously. Well, yeah. So, but you know, you get diminishing returns. So every time you see her, then the novelty's gone. And, and unfortunately, unless you have an actually good movie backing it up, then it's just like, oh, it's Angelina Jolie being a badass again. Okay, it's the tourist. <laughs> yes. And now here, I mean, Liam Neeson. I remember the time when Liam Neeson was a serious actor that took on complex roles challenging movies uh you know we're talking about schindler's list it, it may be propaganda but at least a movie that was trying to do something you know and here is like how many times have we seen him like kill a bunch of people already like being the, the perfect assassin or the best you know you have taken one two and three you have uh, the one where he fights with the wolves but now it's like it, it's a novelty if liam neeson is not kicking ass in the movie so maybe you should have seen this when it came out, and you would have a different perspective on it. Well, maybe if it was a better movie, it would have stayed in theaters long enough for me to Oof. to watch it. But... Shooting, shooting for the hip there. Um, so the opening here is Hannibal trying to rescue um, his cohort, Face, played by Bradley Cooper, of course. But while this is going on in a not so distant, uh, not so far away village, B. A. Baracus, uh, played by Quentin Rampage Jackson, is Ooh. well, yeah. He uh, is getting his van from a chop shop in Mexico, and it ends up uh, him getting into a big scuffle with all the, the gentlemen working there because they need him to you know, continue to keep running for them or whatever it is that he had just recently gotten out in the clink for. So, uh, so he kicks ass, takes his van back, and then in the middle of the desert, he's stopped by Hannibal, who carjacks him. Yeah, because I guess Hannibal had read the script ahead of time, so he knew th there is no way that, that Hannibal, who's supposed to be this mastermind that has everything planned ahead of time, there's no way that he would reach uh, face 
in time to save him unless miraculously a van happens to be on the road for him to hijack and it's a van that happens to be driven by another badass like a former ranger ranger that's like I know only in movies, but even then, there's really no justification for the way well, that this happens. Even like Hannibal has to say, well, sometimes things happen for a reason. And what? Th- no, on uh, quite the contrary. He says, I don't subscribe to coincidence. <laughs> but. <laughs> he, <laughs> he understands this is how things were meant to play out. And yes, so Face is being held captive by some other uh, federales that... Uh, they took a big lump sum of cash from him, and in that lump of cash, uh, Hannibal had placed a tracker. So uh, after you know a bit of a kerfuffle between Hannibal and B.A., uh, he talks him into, you know, help me. I need your help. We need to do this. So they go, and of course, they rescue Face. Um, you know, Bradley Cooper, our introduction scene to him here is fantastic. His charisma is at an all-time high here. Um, I will begrudgingly agree with that. It's hard to take away the charisma from Bradley Cooper. So even if he's in a bad movie, he's still usually... Which makes <laughs> The Hangover 3 that much more impressive. <laughs> yes. he. That was my first thought. I was like, man, he, he actually he, he came to work. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but also, one, why call him Face? I mean, they're changed so much from the original material that at this point, why even keep calling him Face? You just call him Body. Because he's that's what the focus of the movie is here. That was for a while. I thought that was directed by Zack Snyder because they really they're focusing on uh, oh, his yeah. perfectly <laughs> built body. They even like dirty him up in a few scenes to accent you know certain it, it, yeah. features. But to be fair, if I had a body like uh, Bradley Cooper, I would I would never wear a shirt either. Well, yeah, I mean you gotta because eventually that goes away. So you have yeah. to make the most out of those golden years. But instead, I'm stuck with this Seth Rogen physique, so I have to wear comedic T-shirts to get by. <laughs> you have to you have to be the funny guy. That's right. <laughs> but you know Cooper here he. I, I see what he's going for. He, he's actually trying to be funny, too. And sometimes it works, but it really – it's uh, – going back to the fact that it's just allegedly an all-star cast, right? You have you have Bradley Cooper. You have Liam Neeson. I may have issues with them and the, the roles they take, but I cannot deny the fact that they're, they're names. Yeah. Right? And even somebody in, in, in a couple of scenes, we're going to be introduced to Charlton Copley as, as the fourth member of the team. And then you have. Was riding high because <laughs> District, District 9, Nine right? Yeah. yeah. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first thing he had did after, uh, done, excuse me, after that. Um, there was before, his mystique was not killed. <laughs> this was before we all got a serious case of Charlotte Copley hangover. Uh, but but okay, so then you have him and you have Jessica Biel, Patrick Wilson. We, we're gonna get into like all the big names, and then Gerald uh, McRaney. Uh, yes, and, and, and then you get uh, you get this guy that uh, you know to play B. A. Baracus, who is a huge. He's a fourth of the show. He's he's just as important as the other three. His name's Quentin Rampage Jackson. I repeat, who? I'm sure he's a good guy. He's a nice guy. Former he's great UFC at light heavyweight champion. But come on, I mean, that was like that should have been like the first red flag that these guys are not taking the material seriously because they're like, we'll cast the three white guys with stars, and then well, the black guy we can just get like a fighter. And that's it. And don't even get me started. Well, I'll I'll go down the line. I'll go into like what they do to this character it, it, compared to the way he used to be in the TV show. But just from the beginning, the fact that you're not taking it seriously because you're taking somebody that's not even an actor. You know, you're just getting. They picked him because he's good at like picking up people and and throwing them around. Like, I don't know if you're you don't watch fighting and you know nothing about it. Like the years and years I've spent studying, that's what he's known for is his slams. 
is he picks up and slams people. So, but I've seen this movie. In the end, <laughs> that's what he does <laughs> in this movie. It l- lends his big climatic <laughs> moment, his arc culminates on him picking up someone and throwing and them somehow killing a man with a body slam. <laughs> yes. Uh, so moving along here, during the scuffle with Ba and Hannibal, Hannibal unloaded a round into the arm of Ba. Uh, during their retreat, part of Hannibal's plan was to go to this local hospital in Mexico, uh, and he had a chopper, and you know he had an, a guy on the inside there who had a, a pilot for him. We come to find out this pilot is uh, Murdoch, played by the aforementioned Gerardo Copley, who is also a patient at the hospital because of uh, he's a, in the mental ward. He is crazy. He is kooky, and um, he poses as a doctor and begins sewing up the arm of B.A. Baracus. Um, and you know this obviously lends itself to some hilarious misunderstandings. He sews a lightning bolt into his arm, um, and then during their retreat, you know they get up to the top, and as the chopper begins to take off, that Murdoch pilots he knocks the air conditioning unit off the roof, and it absolutely pancakes BA's van. It's not just any van; it's the van from the original show, like the design, the way it's painted. And yeah. I I kept waiting for the movie to pay that off and bring the van back at some point in the movie because you know there's no way they're just disrespecting. No, Julio, this they were history. showing that this is a new generation. They were showing they don't give a shit about the original show. This is what we think about this iconic element from the TV show that was there on every episode. That was a crucial part. It was like the fifth member of the team. That they van. pay homage and to the th- past, but look forward to the future. That is not paying homage. Like that's like. That's them literally It's paying homage and then the saying, hey, we're here and we're better. We well, get used to and it. And how do they say that? They they cast Murdoch. I mean, I don't know if it was just a thing that they didn't realize that Charlton Copley cannot do an American accent after they cast him. But they're just like, okay, well, he can be from wherever. I don't care. Because there is no way. It works. It works. <laughs> how does that work? Because he's was, crazy. It was so distracting. It was like... I won my A team. The A stands for America, Alex. I don't know if you knew that. But, <laughs> and you have Liam Neeson barely disguising his, what, Irish accent? I don't know what he is. But, but you know, he's not – he doesn't have, like, a normal American accent. And then, you know, you have Bradley Cooper for, like – Says you, Peruvian. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I have an accent myself, so I can tell you. I can call people out on their accents. Uh, Fair enough. Yeah, and then you know, and then you have Murdoch, and, and Charlotte Copley is just like talking like, is he from Australia, from New Zealand? You can't tell. In, in okay, South so, Africa. Well, I know in real life, but in the movie, <laughs> in, in the, the shoot world. Yeah, explain to me how this guy came all the way from like South Africa, or wherever, to be a ranger and just be part of the U.S. Army, and you know. Julio, I don't subscribe to coincidence. <laughs> oh, some things happen for a right. reason. The Lord moves in mysterious ways, and <laughs> so. Uh, he mans the helicopter. They take off, and you know, of course, the Federales are still in hot pursuit. Um, his amazing pilot skills—you know—he leads them and dashes and swerves and circles and loops and carries them eventually over U.S. lines to where um, they're now advancing on a, a U.S. piloted vehicle over U.S. military grounds. So, of course, they're shot down with uh, the the line they dropped several times throughout the movie. The um, Alpha Mike Foxtrot, adios, motherfucker. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I mean, basically, they cross the border into America, and then it's cool to kill Mexicans. <laughs> so then they just blow the Mexicans out of the sky. 
And, and, and that's like, yeah, make, make America great again. Uh, yeah, apparently. <laughs> I mean, you know, why do you need a fence? Why do you need a wall? When, just when trick him can, to come over the line exactly, and then we can shoot him. Shoot him. It, it worked for the A team. And then uh, Hannibal pulls out his cigar and said, I love it when a plan comes together. And mind you, everything we've covered thus far, this is the opening credits of the film. And yeah. this is where we get the title screen. And it, it's amazing. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's like, I was about to say, it was also like the opening credits of the, of the TV show, but not even that because we're, we haven't even caught up to the TV show. <laughs> they're, they're not. I was watching this. And I was like, you know, I, I want to give the movie some rope. You know, they need it needs to it needs to build up. It needs to like, you know, it needs some some airstrip to like, you know, take off. And uh, and then I realized, man, they're not even like they're not fugitives. I'm like, are they, are they changing that? Or are they going to be fugitives? Because the TV show, the whole point is that they're they're fugitives. They're yeah. being hunted by the military every episode. Uh, and here, so you, you don't like things that have backstory. I, I like the backstory that doesn't take a third of the movie. I mean, that's the TV show in 30 seconds. It was the first seconds, reel, to in, be fair. In, in 30 se- Oh, but, but they're not even... We have another 15 minutes to go before that's they're true. even yeah. This is just how they met. This is like we're putting the band together. And it's not even the one sequence. There's another sequence later down the line where they have to regroup again. <laughs> like the Muppets movie. Hey, you want to get back together? Okay. <laughs> yeah, if only it had been that, that smooth and, and quick, but no. After the title screen, we kick eight years later into gear. We are in Iraq, uh, you know, on a military base. The crew is still assembled. Uh, when Jessica Beale shows up, uh, Captain Sosa, you know, we immediately find out that she was Face's ex, Bradley Cooper's ex. Because um, there's no way that she can just be an independent female character that has absolutely no ties with anybody here. Okay. <laughs> she is defined okay. by her relationship with one of the males here. In the in the movie, you tell me if you had a movie with Jessica Biel and Bradley Cooper on screen at the same time, the sexual tension would be palpable. Exactly, yeah. that's why I would introduce other female characters. She stands out as the only character with a vagina in this movie. Oh, besides Patrick Wilson's little assistant that he immediately demeans. You know, <laughs> right. yeah. I didn't say Joe Carnahan likes women. <laughs> well, that's not true because Alicia Keys kind of prevails in Smoke and Aces. Yeah, I'm just I don't know what happened to Joe Carnahan in this one. He was just uh, he wrote he was, a he, fun popcorn movie. He was directing with his dick. I again, you know, maybe in the second half we will get into this. I think Smoke and Aces is probably a better film than the A-Team. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. now we're getting somewhere. Okay. Um, but A-Team's still awesome. Regardless, uh, we get some backstory here with Jessica Biel and Face. Uh, you know, it's just your typical stuff, but I really like the aesthetic of the scene. Uh, you know, the army and all the uh, Marines around, you know, kind of. It's awesome. Like, just the visual of, like, everyone taking it so seriously. It's and just then... a green screen that they're playing Jarhead in the background. <laughs> Just how Coop, B Coop and fucking Rampage and the guy from District Nine are just hanging out like with a kiddie pool. It's great. And then of course, um, uh, General Morrison, the leader of the the base that they're camped out at, placed by uh, Gerald McRaney. Um, he's you know coercing and talking with uh, Hannibal and Liam Neeson about you know the, how he's they're the best group they've ever had. Um, you know, he's the best military group he's ever worked with. No idea what they were doing in Mexico. 
Yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> it, it pays. It's been eight years, Julio. A lot can happen in eight years, right? But because you know, when, I, when we first saw him in Mexico, I thought, okay, by now they're they're already like mercenaries. So of course they went to Mexico for like a mission. You know, somebody hired them. But no, they've been with the military the entire time. What the fuck were they doing in Mexico? Get a little side cash, all right? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, we, at this point, we are introduced to uh, Patrick Wilson. P. Wilk plays the CIA representative Lynch, who proposes this job to Liam Neeson and the A Team. Um, some of you know Saddam's cohorts and defectors are uh, they're trying to uh, maneuver plates for counterfeit money and also one billion dollars out of Baghdad, and he wants to hire them on for the job to intercept said van. There is that is like the plot here suddenly thickens after just being on like a really really you know, threadbare kind of story where it was just about introducing the characters. So we get like this huge dump of exposition about like a mission they went on before and how they're tied into this now and comfort money and he's CIA. So of course you can't trust anything he says. Mm-hmm. And then Hannibal goes back to like, and Hannibal know, has his- the awesome line. He's like, what's your name? Lynch. I knew a Lynch once at the CIA. <laughs> yeah. And of course that will like, they will beat that he- that joke to death throughout the movie not a joke. It's a fact of life, Leo. <laughs> Lynch. So are you telling me David Lynch is CIA? That's, that's why his movies are so weird? Uh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say, you ever met someone crazy that <laughs> life in real? So after hearing this plan, of course, Hannibal takes it to General Morrison. And Morrison is very resistant to it. And he says, I've known you, you know, X amount of years. I'm asking you to let this one go. But of course they don't. And we get this awesome scene of setup in which they map out beat for beat, you know, what the plan is going to be, the plan of attack. And of course it's a success. And once they return to the base, Morrison's, you know, he's pulling in to greet them with a nice bottle of whiskey. Uh, and his convoy is blown up. And then also the giant um, crate of money that they returned, the $1 billion, is blown up as well. It's blown up by uh, Pike, who was one of the renegades that we met uh, a scene earlier, it's played a, by Brian Bloom. Poor man's Agent Coulson. Yeah. Clark Gregg. I, I, I think the more I think about it, the more I realize that this movie, I don't know who the casting director was, but they, they had issues. Because, you know, you don't cast, this guy's supposed to be a badass. Right, Pike is supposed to be like black ops, and and he's supposed to be the guy that gives everybody a run for their money. Mm-hmm. He has a bald spot that gets shown in almost like every I, other shot. I think Clive Owen would have been perfect in this role. Anybody that had like a full head of hair or a shaved head, at least. But you know, you can't. I Michael mean, he's, Chiklis. He's, he's trying to be a badass. He's trying to be a badass. And Matt then they cut, they cut to the shot like they're over the shoulder, and you see, he's, and it's not even like a small bald spot. It's like a a big like like. Okay, Murdoch Lander Chopper here because that's just it's it's just that <laughs> noticeable. And I mean, I'm sure now I've just I've just you know I've just jinxed myself. I'm gonna like lose my hair <laughs> next week. But it's like I'm, I'm sorry. That's just give him a wig, shave his head, cast somebody else. You can give him like a different role. But Pike and his men were introduced uh, a bit earlier in the film of no consequence. But basically, what we're led to believe that their characters are they're assassins for hire they're just job men they're not necessarily they, their loyalty lies nowhere it's just kind of whoever's signing the paychecks uh yeah hannibal calls him uh frat boys with uh with guns or something like trigger happy frat boys i don't know he yeah like a... um and quick side note brian bloom who played pike he co-wrote the movie Oh, okay. Now we know why he got you know cast as the badass. <laughs> That's oh, Hollywood, you disgust me sometimes. But, uh, but I, I want to point out though that we're still in prequel mode. We're still we're still like 
telling the completely unnecessary backstory of the A-Team. This is still not the A-Team. They're still like... Well, this is a movie that's two hours that feels like 20 minutes. It's so much fun. It just I rushes just, by. Because, you know, in the in the show, like, uh, B.A. has a, a fear of flying that, you know... It was never. They never felt the need to explain it or give it a reason. You just okay. So he's afraid of flying. Oh ha ha! And, and then every every episode they had to trick him into flying somehow. Well, and this he's afraid of flying. And it gives a reason. Right? Yeah. You spend like twenty minutes on like oh explaining why he almost fell off the chopper that first time that Murdoch flew them and. and it's still every time you think they're done with the backstory, they just go back to like explain something else that happened in the show that of course doesn't need explanation. Well, you're stupid. Your movie's stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, fuck you. <laughs> uh, because of this, because the operation was uh, completely, you know, off the books, and the only um, ranking official that could attest to it was killed. The A team is sentenced to ten years in prison, and all four of them are dishonorably discharged. And now we've cut up to the TV show. Okay, <laughs> like what forty minutes in? So the first episode of the TV show, they just hit the ground running. <laughs> Yeah, you just like all that stuff that we just talked about that mm-hmm. happens in the narration in you know the opening credits of, of every episode. Well, I'm sorry that George Lucas did something right in 1999 <laughs> and decided to like explain where the things we love come from. Um, so we go to six months later where uh, P. Will uh, Lynch shows up and he wants to spring the group from prison. You know, he says that uh, Pike has the plates and he's meeting with the mysterious Arab. Uh, that they have no information about in order to sell the plates off. So um, we get kind of a fun little montage of the different situations that the four are in. Uh, you know, Hannibal's just in a you know run-of-the-mill prison. Uh, Face has his tanning booth and his big suite there. And, he, of course, he's shacked up with the female guards. Because why not? It's Bradley Cooper. If Bradley Cooper was in prison, he probably... Exactly. Uh, oh, yeah, there's another female character who's there just to, like... You know, grope Bradley Cooper for five now, seconds, and now we'll get in. The movie. We'll get into it, but it's the type of thing where it's almost like justifiable because Bradley Cooper is hotter than most chicks, so like it makes sense that like everyone wants to shack up with them. I think that if this movie was going to deviate from the source material so much, they should have just gone completely make. You know, it would have like completely gotten me interested into this if Bradley Cooper had turned out to in prison. He's hooked up with like guys. He's just like he's fucking the guards, and you're like, okay, now now we're talking about the the next generation A team. Now this is you know we're open minded. We're like this is the the 21st century, and and face is metrosexual, and I'm like I'm down with that. I'm suddenly my interest spikes. He's just looking for love, man. He's not. He's not even that. Like they, because they make him mushy later, and it's just like, oh man, I liked you better when you were just just a playboy. Yeah. And they do the same thing with all, you know, uh, uh, B. A. Baracus is he's a badass in the show. He That's is what B. A. stands for. Oh, that is what that, I was trying to figure out what it because I was like the B is for Barack because what's the A for? But no, okay, it's badass. Okay, well, well, he's not a badass here. He's just like your average tough guy, but he smiles more than I think everybody else on the team here. It, but you're missing it. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. As you, you know, you want to bury Rampage for being the non-name in the movie. He's the one that gets the story arc. No, it's brilliant. I disagree. Face gets the story arc. In what? Face becomes a Wolverine of this non franchise. <laughs> the next movie was going to be Face and Friends. It was going like, to be A Team Origins Face. It, yeah, it was going to be the Face Team. The A, the F Team. 
because uh-huh. Bradley Cooper just fucks everything in this movie. But oh, wow. we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. We're skipping ahead to real talk a bit too early. Um, so the plan works. They're all sprung from prison. Once BA is sprung from a, it's a con a prison convoy. We find out that you know he's on on his time on the inside. He's uh you know taking a vow of peace and uh, nonviolence. So he he informs face and Hannibal that he he can't kill anymore and um you know this is the first in of many scenes of where you know his uh his merit will be tested yes it's uh the way the movie depicts this visually is by having him shave but not shave his head who has now a lot of hair mm-hmm. he, he had a mohawk before he they were captured so now he he's let his hair grow, and then he doesn't shave it back into a mohawk once he's sprung, when he's free. And when they're like, why don't you wear the mohawk? He goes on into more backstory about how the mohawk used to be a symbol of how badass he was, how he was violent and whatever. And now he's decided he's going to be a teddy bear, so he doesn't need the mohawk. Rampage is a good man. <laughs> I'm sure he is great at barbecues, and he's great at karaoke, but he... he Hashtag not my BA. <laughs> okay, so once they spring Murdoch, uh, they hop on a big, uh, you know, commercial, not even commercial, a big freighter jet. And they're flying it away. It's um, stowing a tank currently. It's shot down by a couple of drones. This is such an amazing action sequence that, you know, once the plane's blown up, the tank repels and they begin flying the plane, which eventually, you know, not literally flying the plane. But leads to my favorite line in the entire film when they're turning the rotor, shooting it off, you know, trying to position themselves because Hannibal can see a lake, you know, uh, half a mile away. When uh, one of the, you know, army men asks uh, Captain Sosa, are they trying to shoot down the drones? And she says, no, they're trying to fly the tank. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I, I am down with nonsense when it's fun. And that has the potential to, to be a fun. This is fun. Uh, I... You know, maybe, maybe because they showed this in every trailer for the movie. So I've seen this. I've seen like the thing of like where the, the tank is falling and it has the parachutes attached oh, really? to it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't really the, yeah, I, the trailer. Uh, to be uh, honest, you know, quick parentheses of real talk. I screened this not knowing really much anything about it. So, well, no wonder you enjoyed it because you didn't know anything about the A team. So that's. Uh, I came a little bit too late in life for that. <laughs> I mean, you've got about a decade and a half on me, Julio. So. And, and and I was like in a completely different country that was like a decade, an extra decade behind <laughs> in time. So to us, it was like cutting edge American television <laughs> that was already in reruns here. They're just now getting friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amigos. <laughs> Actually, and where are the friends? Where are the friends? Uh, no. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I'm pretty sure the trailer ends with that w- – w- Teasing that, that sequence where you see the the tank falling. I do remember the TV the, spot where like B Coop ho- uh, pops open, the right? Hatch and he starts shooting, and yeah. So I'm hot. So that is like arguably the coolest thing that happens in that sequence, and I already knew it was coming. Okay. So the entire time I'm just like, okay, bring it to the next level now, because there's no way that you wasted the money shot in the trailer, but they did. So I was like, eh. My favorite part of that entire sequence is because when they're on the jet, um, they have to you know put BA to sleep because he. Can't fly, and then he wakes up as the tank's falling, and he's like, "What are we doing on the tank?" And he says, "The plane blew up. When?" And then Murdoch goes, "Recently." <laughs> and you laughed, and I heard you. I I laughed in spite of myself because um, I mean I was just I just wish it wasn't called the A Team, and they would just be like, "Okay, it's just some mediocre movie that you know the can make you laugh." The B Team. 
the D team. Okay. So uh, at this point, Sosa's kind of catching on to everything. She gets wind of uh, some surveillance footage that shows uh, P. Wilk uh, as he visited Liam Neeson in prison. Um, she, you know, finds a phone number, calls him up. Uh, at this point, you know, he's realizing that she's on to him. And, you know, trouble is afoot for Lynch here in the film. Kind of. I mean, at this because the problem is that the movie hasn't really, as much as it's dealt into backstory and exposition, we're still we still don't know where Patrick Wilson stands. So, and I think it's a mistake from the movie because I think that I would have enjoyed it a lot more if I had known from the beginning. The only reason I knew from the beginning that he was not to be trusted was because you spoiled the movie for me <laughs> and you told me that Patrick Wilson played the bad guy. But even, th- even because let's be honest, if you have to sell someone a movie. Just tell them Patrick Wilson's the bad guy, and they're like, "Okay, I'm in on this." But that shouldn't have the been... A team, Hard Candy, the A team, Hard Candy. <laughs> you should have all that should be needed to sell me on an A team movie is to tell me that an A team movie exists. I'll be like, "That's awesome! I'll watch it." Mm-hmm. So, you, really, that's all I needed. Um, I probably I would flinch once I saw the cast because I'd be like, "What happened to be Abrakis?" But other than that, I, that's I'll be like, "That's cool." Uh, but. So Wilson, even knowing that he was a bad guy, I knew, but I also knew that the audience was not supposed to know yet. And I kept waiting for that reveal. And they take their sweet time with that reveal. You don't know until like way past half the movie when you finally find out that he's really a force of evil. Uh, up till now, you're like, okay, he's kind of a he's dick. just a real shithead, CIA right? He's, he's a CIA that you know guy. Uh, I also the the treatment of Jessica Biel in the movie beyond it being sexist or whatever there is. There's a problem that there was the A team, even like there was the 80s. Okay, it was TV show in the 80s, so of course it's not like they were extremely progressive about women or anything. But they always had a woman on the team, and sometimes she was just there for eye candy. But at least she was part of the team, and she was there with them in the missions, and she was there to at least like get dressed up and distract somebody while while the guys did like the important stuff. But she was there, and in this movie they completely separate the one female character that should have been with them and. And pit them against her, so it was. It just felt like such a waste because then you have like a huge. It, it, it's like a group of testosterone driving the movie, and the one female character is just like this nagging bitch. You know, and it's yeah, but just, she's also in a position of authority. Right, but you could have made her a lot more sympathetic, and a lot more interesting. But instead, you're placing her in the in the in that role of like the my immediate go to argument. Would just, like go after you, man. Okay. There is the one part where they're, you know, shooting down the tank and like the one guy turns to the other and goes, We need to get those drones off of her or off of the tank because, you know, if they get shot down, I'm gonna be on bitch duty. And I was just like, Oh, Joe Carnahan. Oh yep. why? Yeah. <laughs> he but, got into the character's head. But <laughs> exactly. I will say Jessica Beale can be such a sweet yeah, seventh heaven. Don't even with Jessica Biel because you know out of all the movies she's done, this is her most dignifying role. Because out of everything that she's done, hey, stealth. Se- yeah, even in stealth, they made sure to just to write a scene in where she's in a bikini, like the waterfall. Right? Yeah, exactly with the the teal bikini. I, I mean, I don't remember the scene, but you know, it's uh, uh, even with you know the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it's like, hey, white tank top, and you're gonna fall in this puddle in the next scene. All right, so you know. She comes off in this movie like Dolph Lundgren comes off in the Expendables franchise. Uh, Well-polished 
in a position of power. Well, she's doing the best with what she can, what she's given. But which but, bless her heart's the story of her career. <laughs> yeah, but but that's you know what I mean. Like Joe Carnahan, I mean, he's not this 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 guy fresh off film school that's trying to to get his first movie made. And he had already made Smoking Aces by this point. That's what he I mean, had what, made his so, Goodfellas, right? So. <laughs> Well, this was they had the potential to be the, the next de- thing. The, the departed. This had the potential. This, this the is his departed. This was his Oscar. <laughs> but but instead, I, I I understand why it has to be binary. You know why does it have to be like either she is, either the female character is is just an accessory to to the guys, or she is just this 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 just completely inflexible. Unsympathetic just, person just, that's just supposed to be the bad guy by proxy of being a woman. Right, exactly. So I, I wish that he could have gone into. Uh, he has the power to make it more complex than that, and he didn't. So the A team stokes out. And by the way, they're never called the A team in the movie, but you know, until the end credits, they're never called that. Uh, they the whole movie is a prequel. Exactly. <laughs> it turns out they follow Pike. They get the positions. You know, the deal is going to go down with the the plates and Pike and this mysterious Arab, and they follow it in. They infiltrate the scene, and they're able to um, take the mysterious Arab captive. They take him to a remote island not too far away. Uh, and before they have a bag on his head, you know, because they needed to get him out of there. And before they unmask him, it's clear that Hannibal knows who it is. He kind of pieces it all together in his mind. And, of course, it's Morrison. And it was a, a ruse. It a was... bamboozling, a hoodwinking, <laughs> all from the beginning. Pike, Morrison, and Lynch were all in on it. And Lynch, uh, th- at this point, we find out Lynch is the true bad guy because Pike and Morrison tried to conspire against him. Yeah, it's uh, everybody's it's double simple each yet other. complicated. I don't know about simple. <laughs> it's, 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 I think going back to the casting agent, the casting director, why would you cast such a. a, a, a I mean. The guy, he he's a good actor and everything, but Morrison, Gerald McRaney. I mean, you know, he's not he's another he's not a name, and it would be cool. I would buy it if it was a cameo. You could you, just like, put Guy Pierce in old man makeup. <laughs> yes, there you go. But so when when the big reveal happens that oh this guy betrayed him, you're like what? Who is that guy? Because you know because when they like, unmask him, he has like fucking you know uh, what's his name? Um, oh, my joke failed. Never mind. Um, now I'm thinking uh, the country singer or well, the actor that also sings country. Uh, yeah. Uh, or Rick Rubin. He has total Rick Rubin hair and beard. So, um, but yeah, he unmasks him and it's kind of like a, eh. Right. Everyone, like, because you, you looked at me, you turned and you're like, do you know who that is? <laughs> and I was trying, like, I was running through my head. I was like, who, like, what big name actor could be in this It would have been perfect if he unmasked him and it was Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> The X team. <laughs> Hannibal calls up Lynch, and Lynch is hot on the trail. He knows where this has gone because he's been tracking him. And you know, it's you know Hannibal. What he wants, I'll give you the plates. I'll give you uh, Morrison. I just want clean records for all my guys, and I, I want us to get out. And that's all they really want in the end is because this rep they've got, they want to be free from it. And Lynch, you know, promises them that. But in the meantime, he's gotten the coordinates locked on with his men they're going to bomb this little remote island that they're on which they do eventually after uh hannibal figures it out the four men you know jump off and you know in kind of a it's like he figures last out action with like hero type five scene five seconds to go uh, this guy that's supposed to be the smartest man on the team and the smartest man in the army according to you know the way that his reputation goes he just he's too busy 
I don't know, arguing with FaZe about, you know, how he, he's made bad decisions. According Take your to- shirt off. <laughs> yes, that's an order. <laughs> oh, shit. It was a trap. And then they, they almost get killed. And Okay, say what you will, but then it's like that awesome dickheadedness of uh, Wilson with the, oh, man, that's awesome. It looks just like Call of Duty. And that's, of course, throw a cheap pop reference so that people will not fall asleep. Like, oh, wait, wait, Call of Duty? What? What? <laughs> So following this, the A-team knows, you know, basically what's going on. They know at this point Lynch and Pike are together somehow, despite the fact that their reconciliation happens directly in uh, Lynch's car. And so they are going to set them up. And what they do is they know their phones are being tapped. So Hannibal calls Sosa from his phone first, and they lay out this plan that, hey, we'll meet here. I'll give you Morrison and the plates, knowing that Lynch is listening in. They disconnect, and then Face calls Sosa and says, "Okay, here's the real plan," because apparently Face's phone is not traceable. But also because now suddenly Face has become the leader and the mastermind in the team, which is going back to what I said that they they just made it the Face movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, it's called the A Team. It's not called Face. But w- <laughs> Lynch wouldn't believe that Face was calling the shots. He would see right through that. That's why Hannibal. Placing the you know the rogue call is that brilliant. Is, that is not what happens. That is not that. It's Hannibal a genius red herring. Is, is not that Hannibal knowing? What's well, I'm going sorry on. that Joe Carnahan <laughs> expected his audience to piece these scenes together. No, 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 no. It's more like Hannibal more than once in this last stretch of the movie. He just says, "I don't know." Like they're like, "Boss, what do we do?" I don't know. Boss, how did this happen? I don't know. But what happens next? He doesn't subscribe to coincidence, Julio, okay? <laughs> right. He's just waiting for the universe to, to, to just throw the next van that he can he can take off the road for his next trick. No, it... Hours. It, it's very disappointing because this is the character that was always... Even the movie establishes he's always... He knows... He's... Ten times, ten steps ahead of the enemy. He always has a plan. He knows what's going down. Even when it looks like he's losing, he he knows he has a backup plan. And and then they just turn him into a fool just so that Face can shine. And suddenly Face, who's shown absolutely no, they don't turn him into a fool. Yeah, he he gets he gets tricked. There is somehow, even though all of us knew that that Patrick Wilson was not to be trusted, <laughs> he trusts Patrick Wilson, and then he seems surprised when Patrick Wilson double crosses him and bombs the shit out of that island or that 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 cabin where they were, and then and then you know he loses the 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 only guy that could have exonerated him and and say that they were innocent. You know he dies there. And then he just goes to pieces. He just tells his team, I don't know what, what happens next. And then Face suddenly becomes the man with the plan. And he's like, well, I'm going to tell you what happens next. <laughs> and he comes up with this really convoluted plan to lure Lynch out of the shadows. And, and suddenly, I mean, spoiler alert, it works. And suddenly Face is oh, just... Oh, it works. Right. It's just like it's like, a, like in the X-Men movie when, when, you know, halfway into the movie, they knock out Professor X and Cyclops. Just a Wolverine can come to the front and really be the one calling the shots. They do it in X-Men 1, they do it in X-Men 2. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's what happens here with FaZe. They just make everybody dumber so that he can come in and, and, and really have an arc. Now, B.A. Baracus, he does have an arc. Uh, which, by the way, yeah, we forgot to mention that there's like this crucial moment uh, a few sequences ago where he fights uh, Pike and Pike beats the shit out of him because Barakas refuses to kill him. That's he doesn't right. want to hurt him. Yeah. And you're like, come on. Yeah. I mean, 
not even Gandhi <laughs> would have taken that kind of punishment. Well, that comes into play when they... I, that's why I brought it yeah, up. Yeah, they trade Gandhi quotes. So they're setting up, and Face does lay out the plan, and basically it's just a, it's a whole theory of illusion type plan that they have. So what they're going to do is disguise Murdoch. They're going to put a bag over his head, disguise him as uh, Morrison. We don't know this, though. Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, it's good. It's good that you explained the plan because that I think it makes more sense than the way that the movie. Does no, it. but it's really in the movie because they're doing all these things. They're like, what the hell are they doing? Like they're setting up like this bulletproof helmet. They're you know getting these voice boxes together, um, and you know figuring it all out. But it does lead to the culmination of the story arc for B. A. Baracus, and that <laughs> he is reflecting, and you know he tells Hannibal, you know I can't kill anybody, and they trade Gandhi quotes that both have conflicting <laughs> ideologies. And, you know, it leads to us seeing uh, B.A. looking himself in the mirror, and then, you know, we hear the razor, so we know shit's abounding. <laughs> it does lead to basically just a massive firework display slash shootout on a, a big, you know, international freighter that's carrying all types of different, you know, um, those big, like, train carriers. And uh, they trick Pike and Lynch into thinking that they have Morrison and of course, you know, eventually they lure him in. Um, it is Murdoch with a bulletproof helmet on that's laced with ketchup packets. So when it shoots, of course, it disperses blood. Um, you know, really, it's just a lot of. Can si- I just say that that would never work in real life? You can say that. <laughs> I mean, this scene is like it's a lot of it's it's very little steak. It's a lot of sizzle, but you know. <laughs> It's uh, it it does what it's designed to do. I just I just don't know that, you know, ketchup packets. I mean, that's that's the best that he can come up with for his climax. Well, they had to do they had to work with what they had on those freighters. All right, <laughs> um, and it leads to B A rising to the occasion and killing again. He body slams Pike and somehow snaps his spine and kills him. And it's a big celebrated moment in the movie. It's amazing. Completely reprehensible. <laughs> That's the message of the movie when it comes to BA's arc is like, it's okay to kill. <laughs> That's basically because he saved it, face. He right. saved the he star didn't of the to movie. Kill the guy though, he didn't need to kill the guy. I don't think he didn't try to. He just slammed him wrong. <laughs> okay, it was an accident. He didn't, he didn't mean to because he was not using a gun, but he just used brute force in completely. The movie relishes that moment too. They give you that close up of a uh, of and Pike, then, just like, his eyes open, and, he's and just... the awesome triumphant music that plays behind it. And then we get an amazing like grappling scene between Patrick Wilson and uh, Liam Neeson. They like, and then we get a Muay Thai scene between them. It basically lends, leads itself to the line of Liam Neeson saying, uh, "Lynch, your Muay Thai is as bad as your jujitsu." And so a lot of shit talking uh, uh, from a guy that really didn't know what the hell was going on twenty minutes ago in the movie. <laughs> That's, at this point, I would just be humble if I was Hannibal. I would just be humble and take the fact that okay, Face's plan seems to be working. I I guess I'm not the leader anymore, and I I wouldn't get quippy. <laughs> no more shit talk for me. <laughs> yeah. But, of course, the plan does work, and it's awesome because uh, they have the voice box where they have the one line recorded from um, Morrison, which I don't remember when they recorded it or how. It may have been on one of the phone conversations. That no, I think had. it was when they, when they had him uh, hostage, when they were Hannibal was confronting him. I guess for some reason he just recorded the conversation. They Someone had, had their it. talk boy on them and started <laughs> yeah. recording. And it, yeah, it was uh, Hannibal. You don't have to do this. And then Murdoch just keeps playing it on loop over and over. So it leads to uh, Lynch being very confused. And then you know 
Hannibal just drops it on him. He's like, you know, you're fucked. You made a mistake. They lift the crate up, and they're surrounded by all the uh, FBI and law enforcement agents, all with their guns pulled. Meanwhile, B.A. and Face off in the corner looking badass. It, for a movie that just, I don't know, five minutes ago celebrated killing, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I don't understand why they let Lynch live. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Hannibal had him dead to rights. It, it would have been self-defense. Just he could have to, just... like, a platoon-type <laughs> shooting barrage on him. Yeah. Um, so... Everything, you know, the day has been saved. Uh, we find out that Lynch's real name is Vance Burris. Uh, he's wanted for all types of different fraud, racketeering, things like that. Um, we he, also find out that a shot to the head when you're wearing a bulletproof helmet makes you sane. Apparently, Murdoch goes like, I he, feel sane now. And now he, he just he talks like a normal person. Well, that, it happens sometimes. What you? the fuck? <laughs> That's like that's worse than 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 destroying the van from the TV show. Now you're just like, aren't you angry? We didn't get a sequel to find out how he was insane again. That, that would have been so hacky. I'm sure that he, he would just like bang his head again somehow, and then or he got shot wearing the same helmet again and knocked him <laughs> back in. Um, so with uh, Vance Burris Lynch P. Wilk in captivity, um, or not even in captivity, he's in custody. Uh, we have uh, another Lynch, another rep from the CIA show up, played by an uncredited John Hamm. Don Draper shows up to make us wish that he had been in the movie the entire time, because that would have given a little more class. Well, it has enough class to begin with, but he shows up, they, you know, saying, this man's coming with us type thing. He reveals his name is Lynch. Uh, we'll get into his little cameo here, here shortly in uh, Real Talk. Um now, as the A-team, you know, just begin to get a bit too comfortable, law enforcement shows up and, you know, they are placed under arrest because, as, you know, Hannibal says, you know, despite all we did, escaping from prison is still a crime. And uh, while they're getting hauled away, uh, Captain Sosa comes up and explains to Face that she's sorry and plants a, a big one on him. They have a really tender kiss and embrace. It goes on a bit too long. You're wondering kind of what's going on. It here. goes on for so long that the the soldiers around them just look way <laughs> awkward. Like what the hell? Just roll their eyes. Women, <laughs> yeah, am I right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, so they're loaded into the armored convoy and they're beginning to be taken off. And you know, ba, this is bullshit. And um, Hannibal says, you know, there's always a plan. And B Coop. But it's not mine. No, and B Coop gets the last line of the movie and says, and I love it when a plan comes together and, you know, finagles out of his teeth the key that Sosa put in his mouth with their big lip lock. So, in case you had missed the fact that basically this movie is about not just shitting on the TV show, but just face overtaking uh, Hannibal and taking over the team and becoming the leader, he just steals his line. Hannibal's line, that's. He literally says. And I don't want to steal your line. But, but... I will anyway. <laughs> That's the last line of the movie. Bradley Cooper with a huge smile saying the line that Hannibal Smith is famous for. That's just so disrespectful. But it doesn't end there. Because for those people that were just too stunned by how how <laughs> disrespectful this movie had been. And they just couldn't get up. And they just sat through the credits. There are a couple of like post credit scenes featuring... The original members of the A-Team, well, not all of them, but you have the guy that played FaZe and you have the guy that played Murdoch, because apparently they weren't good enough to include in the actual movie. <laughs> so you just throw him in, in, in the post credit scene that has absolutely no relevance to the plot. It's not like they were teasing a sequel where they, you're going to have like the old cast or anything. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a throwaway joke on both instances. And you're like... Which is what a post credit scene should be worked for. The tease for the sequel was John Hamm. Where the post credit scene should always be just something that rewards the audience for sticking around. It shouldn't, shouldn't be some the Avengers post credit scene. 
Yeah, it's funny. It's cute. But like the all the other Marvel movies, it's like, fuck, I have to wait for five minutes to listen to all this fucking music and wait and then just see something for, you know, exposition for the next movie. If you're going to be because cute and funny. if I miss it, I'll be out of the loop by the time the next movie starts. Well, that's fine if you're going to be cute and funny with the old cast, but then put them also in the movie. Because otherwise, what you're saying is like, listen, I had them and I could have made them part of the movie, but I chose not to. Instead, I chose to be funny and I just put them at the end. Because fuck you, old fans. This is the A team now, and and your old A team, they're just post credits. See if I put them in the sequel. Hashtag so I'm glad it didn't get a sequel. Next gen A team. All right, all right. Fuck you, because this movie is amazing. It was just so disappointed. Just like I just I felt so insulted the entire time as an A team fan, like a real A team fan, and it, it was just. And also just disappointed as a Joe Carnahan fan. I'm like, this is the guy that did. Smoking Aces. <laughs> it is. And I'm sure we'll get into that more. Um, at this point, I think you just need to realize that sometimes you can put a name on something and you don't have to bring in all that additional baggage. So maybe you just need to grow up, Julio. <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm ready for real talk. I am definitely ready for real talk. The ready real talk that will end our friendship. Take as you we know to it. school. <laughs> recording sir i apologize uh in the midst of recording this podcast news broke that uh, john jones had been tested positive for a banned substance so john jones the martian manhunter yes exactly that john jones the mixed martial arts fighter that put the main event of ufc 200 in jeopardy 
causing my notes to be sidetracked and for me to get distracted during some of this recording. So I do apologize. But this was the A team. The A team was relisted. Was released. <laughs> God damn you, John Jones. The A team was released on June eleventh, two thousand ten. It was the last movie I screened at my old theater in Denton. I was trying to remember that, and that was fact. Budget of one hundred ten million. Box office of one hundred seventy-seven million. Quite the disappointing return. Now, before we get any further into this, Julio, do you have some comments, some reviews for us, sir? I have reviews. Starting with, uh, I want to single this one out, Jason Best from Movie Talk, because I didn't read this until after Ray written down my notes, so I wasn't copying him. But he makes the same point I made um, earlier in the show during the fake talk. Um, he says, Joe Carnahan shows how the film's titular badass heroes become rogue fighters, but takes an age to do so. The TV show's opening credits manage the same feat in around 20 seconds. <laughs> so, do great minds think alike, or is it just such an easy point to make? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I guess it's telling that the opening credits is like my favorite part of the film. <laughs> yes. Except that in this case, you know, the opening credits would be like 30 minutes, 40 minutes for what, you know, if you do the equivalent to the 20. show. Okay. It no, was no, no, the no. first reel, right? But but that's not you don't you're not cut up with the TV show by the end of that first reel. Oh, it okay. keeps going until okay, they become yeah, fugitives. Yeah, yeah. So gotcha. Two reels. It's more like half the movie. Two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So bullseye dot com says the show was fun. Damn it! And guess what? So is the movie. Goddamn right. Jason Anderson from iWeekly says this A team plays out like Team America: World Police minus the fun satire and puppet sex. He wanted puppet sex. Stephen Himes from Film Snobs says, Ocean's Eleven, if conceived by Tony Scott. Huh. Charlie Lyne from Ultra Culture says, where the sheer superficiality of it all could come across as offensive elsewhere, there's a layer of knowing charm to the whole thing that saves the day. Fucking A, team. Uh, Simon Murado from Quick Flicks says, based on its own merits, the A-Team is a sweet little sugar cube of outrageous fun and almost unparalleled silliness. We may not have asked for it, but I'm thankful we've got it. Ed Whitfield from The O-Tray says, the 80s should sue. That's all he says. Rude. And then Corey Hall from Metro Times from Detroit, Michigan says, A for asinine and awesomely capturing the gun-ho insanity to a Mr. T. He thought about that a lot. He did. And I say it was cute. Rude, first it, off. It's, it's, uh, like I told you, it's uh, Joe Carnahan's Avengers. So, <laughs> the A-team. <laughs> let's, let's focus on one thing, Alex. I did like it. I had a good time. Okay. All right. As you should, because it is a prime example of what happens when a stupid popcorn movie is put together with an A-list cast. And Minus your boy Rampage. Rampage. And yeah, that's the thing. My my brain, because I'm so you know combat sports centric, I can't process it. Who wouldn't know who Rampage is? But yeah, we'll get we'll get into that in a moment. Um, this is what happens when you put together an A list cast for a stupid fucking movie. Is that like people look at it and say, okay, wait, this isn't what I expected. Like you know, we have Patrick Wilson out there being silly and. He's so good, though. He's he's uh, and this is a compliment. He is Timothy Oliphant in Die Hard Four. He is the bad guy that keeps being exasperated when things don't go his way, and that's why I enjoyed it so much. And he's so spoiled, yeah. And like, okay, so and we made 
quick uh, allusions to this in the first portion, which we should just call Contrarian's Convo. Oh, okay. That's what we're calling the first part. Yeah, because uh, fake truth talk. talk or fake talk. Yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> contrarian's Convo or but hashtag Contrarian's Convo. All right. Um, Bradley Cooper in this is trying. He's giving it his absolute all. Yes. And that, like, that was part of the thing that I found about it interesting and even in my research of it everyone was fully into this and you can tell by their performances because when someone's not into a movie you can tell that then you know we always joke about like i I think you could count probably fucking 10 times in our podcast history we've joked about bradley cooper and hangover three right about how he's just like get me out of here type thing he's like can i wear sunglasses so people don't see them yeah exactly (laughs) he from the second you see him until the last shot he is having a good time and he's he's going for it he's having he's trying and, you know, Sherato Copley, which, you know, again, on top of the world when this <laughs> movie. Time. Yeah. It's like, man, you just want the lottery. What do you want to do next? <laughs> the A team. <laughs> you know, Liam Neeson would have to try hard to give the appearance of phoning it in, but even he here seems to, like, be into it. Yeah, no, he, I, I agree. Everybody seems like they're having fun. Uh, and, that, I mean, during Contrarian's convo, CC. During CC, hashtag. I was, hashtag CC. I was, uh, I mean, I kept making the the whole point about you know this not being accurate uh, regarding an adaptation to a TV show. Which I mean, I don't really care. I mean, in real life, I don't care. The movie was fun. Uh, whatever liberties they took with the with the characters, uh, really, the only thing that came close to bothering me was the the what they did with the B. A. Baracus uh, character. Which, by the way, fun fact. In Spanish, because I watched this dubbed back in my my young days. In Spanish, he's called Mario Baracus <laughs> from Queens. <laughs> Mario, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I think that because you know it's Mr. T, so you know Mr. T. Mr. T doesn't smile. Mr. T doesn't like really quip. Mr. T doesn't say, hell yeah, Hannibal, or, or you know. Uh, the part the, with the magnet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he doesn't do that. You know, Mr. T is. I don't care. It was awesome. I, I mean, it took me off. Mr. Everybody, T pities the fool that does that. Right. Everybody else in this movie kind of accomplished what I would have expected. It fulfilled my expectations of what I would have expected. Uh, you know, when, when you tell me they're making a movie about the A-Team. And they everybody seemed to be like the movie version that I expected from those characters. But not Mr. T and not Mr. T, not B.A. Baracus. And I wonder if part of it has to do with just the fact that it was not an actor that I uh, that mm-hmm. I knew. So it didn't carry. Everybody carries a personality with them. They carry their baggage, right? Liam Neeson comes as I can buy him as a mastermind because it's Liam Neeson. And same thing, I can I can buy uh, Bradley Cooper as this player that just seduces everybody because it's Bradley Cooper. Yeah. And Charlotte Copley, well, he was really fucking quirky in District 9, so I completely buy him as Murdoch. But this other guy, I don't know him from anything. And, so, And I think that is really an unfair expectation of myself because I know Rampage and that he's like one of the most charismatic uh, and entertaining interviews that MMA's ever had. Like, he seems like a pro wrestler, but he never did pro wrestling type thing. Like, um, he, you know, was the UFC light heavyweight champion. He knocked out Chuck Liddell at the peak of Chuck Liddell's career, which may not mean anything to you, but some of the people listening. Chuck what? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, he ended Chuck Liddell's title reign, which was unbelievable. But um, he. It sounds like an 18 prequel. <laughs> 
He lost a lot of money for doing this. I'm sure he made a lot of money for doing it, but he lost a lot of money because he, at the time, was doing the UFC's reality show, which was The Ultimate Fighter, uh, with uh, basically the gist of that show is to establish fighters. A lot of times, guys who have grudges uh, will be coaches of teams of amateur fighters, and they coach them, and whoever wins the tournament gets UFC contract, yada, yada, yada. At the end of the season, the two coaches fight each other. So he was embroiled in this big heated feud with this uh, brother by the name of Rashad Evans, and they were supposed to fight at UFC 107 in Memphis, Tennessee in December of 2009, and uh, Rampage canceled the fight so he could do this. And Wow. In an interview later, you know, he stated that this meant much more to him because, like, um, him and his dad used to watch the A-Team when they were, when he was growing up. And when he was offered the role, he couldn't turn it down type of thing. See, now you're making me feel bad because that's uh, he's the one weak point in the movie for me. Well, but, you shouldn't but, feel bad because the fight he canceled was in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, his hometown. He canceled that, let all his hometown fans down. Um, I ended up going to that event in Memphis. <laughs> and for you Contrarians <laughs> listeners, if you can... Uh, Email us at wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. What the actual main event turned out to be, we'll <laughs> make a t-shirt and send it to you. There you go. Yeah. Um, but he eventually ended up fighting Rashad Evans and lost. Um, so so what you're saying is nothing turned out right for him. Correct. This. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I feel bad. I wouldn't feel bad if he had made like a lot of money and he there were like, in like the fourth A-team movie and he was just an actor that's been like in a bunch of movies from, since then. But I read it too. Bradley Cooper, uh, from what I gathered, was really bummed that the movie didn't do better because like he had a really good time doing it and all he that. He seems like he's having a lot of fun from frame one. Uh and there's uh, just before we move forward, there's like an amazing, and I'll try to find the audio clip of it to put on the podcast, like uh, of Liam Neeson on the red carpet for it when he's talking <laughs> about, you know, such an honor working with these men, Bradley Cooper, Rampage, <laughs> the guy from District Nine. Uh, but yeah, uh, Rampage, he just smiles a little too much for my for my liking. Uh, when it he comes clearly to the is in over his head in terms of like literally for your first motion picture thrown in with the fucking wolves and that is true and i was trying not to see it that way but it has to have affected a little bit he doesn't carry the weight that all the other the other three do but more than that and this is i'll put that on carnahan because carnahan could have just told him listen just play mr t yeah just be mr t and then you'd be like okay at least this is a guy i don't know but he's playing a character i recognize but instead he's the guy i don't know and he's playing a character that i that's not what i remember from the show which is weird now that you tell me that he's a fan of the show he has to have known that he was just playing against type well and even so like like i said he is easily you know pro wrestling you know aim for like the charismatic interview guys and legit mma boxing fighting you can't cast guys in that so the charismatic people you know kind of come as they do and as good as he is that doesn't necessarily mean that's it time is proven that like that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to translate well like mike tyson even like you know uh the hangover is probably his most famous casting and he's on little spots here and there hangover too yeah <laughs> And one. And then you have guys like Dennis Rodman and shit like that, like really charismatic, but then when you put a camera on him, doesn't mean it necessarily translate well. And that I do believe that is the case here. I mean, I think his intention was well, but also the way the character was written, for having someone who is their first time at bat, it should not have been the character that was the focus of like the movie. Well, I still think that face is the focus of the movie. I was Well, in terms of that. like the character that actually has like the story arc. 
Faze has a story arc, man. What story arc? He is bang an, chicks. Yeah, he's an irresponsible guy that Hannibal calls him out early in the movie. He tells him like, "You did not do the thing that I told you to do." How are we supposed to rescue him? <laughs> yes, and, like, and, and then Liam by Neeson the end, he's fucking top notch in this movie. Dude. <laughs> he is. He is. I like how he, they age them. Like they just bleach his hair white. <laughs> you know what I mean? At the beginning of the movie, <laughs> that was my favorite. When I was going through fucking uh, IMDb's trivia to find something actually interesting, which I really, I was telling you earlier, there wasn't too much. It was this person was rumored for this role, da da da. And one of the facts was they had to dye Liam Neeson's hair for the role. <laughs> and I was like, no shit, really, <laughs> really, he's not that old. Uh, yeah, I I think that Face gets the the really he gets to be Wolverine, and that I guess that would be the second thing that bothered me. But both these things bother me just because I was such a huge fan of the show. I I truly believe when I was a kid, I watched every episode of the show that was made, or at least every episode that made it to Peru, and uh, so. They're, they're all two of them. All two of them in Spanish. Uh, where is the A-team? Where is the van? Well, crushed in this movie. <laughs> crushed in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Uh, there is – I don't know how other A-team fans feel about it. But to me, it was a little jarring to see, one, B.A. Baracus smiling and just being funny. And two – having FaZe be the one that kind of saves the day with coming up with a plan, that feels like a special episode of the A-Team, you know, like, which I understand is there's a difference between, like, serialized television and a movie. With serialized television, you have them established as these archetypes, and then you have the one special episode where, like, oh, this is the episode where, where Mario Baracus smiles. <laughs> and then you have, this is the episode where FaZe steps up to the plate and comes up with a, with a plan because Hannibal can do it. It felt weird to see it in a movie. I understand why. You need an arc. Yeah. Uh, I would have liked for the arc to be more about the team, but maybe that was a little too predictable for them to come apart and then come together again. You've seen that before, so maybe... I don't know. I, just, I think that I would have enjoyed this movie more if I wasn't a fan of the TV show, as much as I enjoyed it, because I, I don't have any complaints, any serious complaints about it. I, I had a good time. I laughed. Uh, Patrick Jessica Wilson Biel, is awesome. Yes, let's get Patrick Wilson first, and then we'll go to Justin Okay, Hill. <laughs> agreed. Patrick Wilson is fantastic. In yes, this. Patrick Wilson is great. He yeah. he is. Uh, I, I I'm not kidding. He is the Timothy Oliphant of this movie uh, when comparing it to Die Hard Four. He seems to be a bad guy that's not afraid of just being frustrated when things are going wrong. There's this whole thing. I didn't get to it during uh, hashtag CC, but. Uh, <laughs> Where they they basically have like a stand up set in the in the car when they're like driving they've captured Pike yeah and he has he has his two henchmen back there like guarding him and Pike keeps like disarming them and hurting them and and he just seems exasperated by yeah the whole thing. And he, he pulls his gun and it's, his hands like shaking he's like I really want to shoot you right now. yeah yeah it's it's all really really funny and really good and I. I don't think that because I don't think Timothy Elephant got enough credit for that kind of portrayal of a bad guy in in Die Hard Four either. You know the guy that or for his portrayal in Scream Two. Who is he in Scream Two? Timothy Elephant. Yeah, he's, I haven't seen him forever. So he's the bad guy. Him and Billy's mom are like the. Uh, well, I've told you. I know I mentioned at least two times in this podcast before that I didn't get to the end of Scream Two. Okay, well, so, go back to visit the episode ten, Scream Four. Well, <laughs> But do you see him on screen before he's revealed as a bad guy? I think so. I don't know. To me, the Oliphant. We're talking about Danny Cordray, right? From the office. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're talking about Raylan Gibbons from Justified. Yeah, yeah. Um, Patrick Wilson. I, I, can. I guess Timothy Oliphant as well. Like untapped talents, and you see shit like this, and it's like, I don't know. 
Patrick, weren't, you, weren't you a bigger star? Kind of, been, uh, but also you look at like what he's done, and it's like it, you also get the impression maybe he's very selective in what he does. Right. Yeah. But yeah, that's that, not to say they're not in bad movies. Though I'm sure there's a bad Patrick Wilson movie out there that I just can't think of right now. Oh yeah, I mean a lot of people don't like Hard Candy. I like Hard Candy. That's I, not a bad movie. No, it's, I thought it was good, but uh, yeah, him and this uh, and get the goddamn plates back. <laughs> yes, like, that's, that's so good. <laughs> there's no way that that was on the script. That has to be Patrick Wilson. Just, just his brilliance. Yeah. Uh, okay, so moving along, you know, from the highest of highs with Patrick Wilson as the bad guy to, you know, she is not bad, but this movie is not in favor of women. Yeah, I, it's, it's not. I, I can't think of a way to justify. I mean, she's. You're right. She's not bad, and it's not like the character is just this. this and to be fair, it's not like to... Jessica Biel has ever had like this Meryl Streep type performance where you know we praise it for decades to come. Right, but but has she been given the chance? That's the thing. And this no. movie does not give her the chance. But it also doesn't diminish her to, okay, you're going to be in a bikini or you're going to be in a tank top and get wet type of thing. Right. Yeah. No. Th- it's the, just, summer catch, this is not. No, it's not. But but it's it's kind of – it's noticeable. It's weird because, you know, in the 80s, this would be okay. And having changed so much, I think I said it uh, during hashtag CZ that <laughs> this, it's just flowing out of my mouth. Uh I, I said it that if you're gonna change some things from the source material, why not be a little more welcoming to women <laughs> in the movie? You know, it, it does make it weird because, like, at no point is she, um, you know, compromised because of her appearance or anything like that. But at the same time, like, right? I mean, she's okay. not taken seriously. Well, because I mean, this yeah. movie was made in what 2009, 10, or 2010. I mean, there are some there are some lines that obviously you wouldn't cross at this point, you know, or, or that at least a filmmaker like Joe Carnahan would not cross. There's there's a basic okay. We have female character. We can't just have her like run around naked. We have to give yeah. her something to do. So that's the very basic. But also. You have one female character. I don't know. Like the, the I've seen Smoking Aces. There's a lot of <laughs> naked chicks that run around in that movie. But they have guns and they shoot and they have. You have yeah. okay. The key thing is you have a lot of female characters there. At least like a handful. <laughs> well, like uh, Jeremy Piven, his rooms full of naked chicks that end up getting killed. Right, but those are like extras. That doesn't count. <laughs> no, I'm talking about like actual characters that have names and have more than one scene. And here, Jessica Biel is the only one. And that's that's what makes it weird that there's only one female character. If there was like a couple more, then her character wouldn't feel so like she is like uh, like clearly the female character in the movie. Right, like, it's and, so outlined. And I wasn't kidding. It's kind of unfortunate that they had to tie her into face, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not just that she's the only female character, but she's the only female character, and she happened to date. One of the A teams, so of course now there's like that sexual tension, and and she has to kiss him at the very end, and all that stuff. But again, you you want to see Bradley Cooper kiss well, Jessica yeah, Biel? Yeah, you do. But I want to see more women in the movie too. So I would like, what if Pike had been a woman? That would have been badass. Yeah. Pike is a woman with a bald spot. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Uh, yeah, I can roll with that. Yeah, just a little more variety. I mean, I understand why. That's just weird. I would like to hear John Kernahan just kind of say, like, how'd that happen? If he, if he can just tell me, we didn't notice. That's a perfectly valid answer, you know? Because uh, I I truly believe that just because of the way that we've been shaped by society, sometimes we just don't notice. Like, well, but, of course, in the end, you know, she controls the fate of the film. 
that she like provides the key to them. Right. Like, that, but she's still just the one lonely female character no, I, I that understand. has to carry all the complexities that you'd have spread out throughout the, the, yeah. all the other female characters that are not there. But again, you know, this is just a very simple film that I don't think strive to change the wheel. I don't think this I don't think Joe Carnahan with this tried to do, you know, tried to make quite the movie he did with Smoke and Aces. And while I said this in the first his, his masterpiece. It is. Yeah, I <laughs> this is it. This is the one I'll be remembered for. After he beat Ray Liotta to death with a fucking bowling pin, <laughs> and he said, I'm finished, and then he released <laughs> Smoke and Aces. This is just a stupid, fun, blockbuster movie, like, and that's what people don't want to accept anymore, which makes it very intriguing when um, movies like Gravity get like Oscar nominations and shit yeah, like that. Yeah, but you know, Gravity, I'm not saying I'm not, that not, this, I'm not, not saying, to compare. Right, no, but also I'm not saying that this is why the A-Team didn't make, you know, bank like they expected, but Gravity has a female protagonist. Touche. You know, I think that maybe... But I'm to be all, fair, Gravity, like I'm just saying, because that was just a popcorn film, but it had a huge budget and did like way more visual shit. Yes. No, I think that there's probably a, a, a more apt comparison. Uh, there are dumb blockbusters that make bank and create franchises all the time. Independence Day? Yeah. I mean, you know. Did the, uh, did the recent one do good? No. Oh, I really? Th- I don't think so. Yeah. At least. I know critically it didn't do well. I don't know how. Well, the first one critically didn't do well either. But nobody cared. They're like, fuck Because they're like, holy shit, Will Smith punched an alien in the face <laughs> and said, welcome to Earth. Yeah. Uh, there is a, a. But even something like Independence Day. I, I just keep bringing it back to this, but there's more female characters there. There's not. A whole lot of... Uh, there's Vivica A. Fox stripping. And then there's uh, the president's wife dying <laughs> in front yeah. of her daughter. <laughs> and then there's uh, Jeff Goldblum's uh, ex-wife, who has a career. And, you know, she has a little bit of an arc. There's... I mean, that's not it. You know, and, and Independence Day is like, what, 96, 97, right? 96, yeah. 95. Yeah. I, I just think that the excuse or the, the reason, the fact that it's, a popcorn movie, a big blockbuster, which I'm fine with, and I enjoyed it for that. I don't think that at this point in the year 2009, 2010, you know, I don't think that 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 gives you a free pass to just have one female character. That, no. Yeah, and, and my you know my love of this movie doesn't neglect or doesn't ignore. Excuse me, that you know the things we've pointed out here. It's true, and also you know something you have to factor in mind is like. It was almost 20 years after the show's relevancy. Over 20 years. So it was like, those are the types of things when that shit happens. It's like, "Mm." Um, that was, I remember the initial feel of the Transformers movie. It was like, yeah, it's been like 20 years. This movie's really not going to make that much money. Then it made like $8 trillion. And they're like, fuck, now we have to make more. (laughs) Now we have to make one where Mark Wahlberg's a Texan. (laughs) Um, You know, have you seen the movie? (sighs) I think it's called Rules of Engagement. Uh, Dawson from Dawson's Creek and uh, <laughs> James Vanderbeek. James Vanderbeek and uh, Jessica Biel is in it, and uh, she's not the main female character. She's like a supporting character, but she plays like this slutty girl. Of and, course she does. Yeah, and I was I was just thinking because I keep trying to think of a movie that's given Jessica Biel the chance to stretch. Uh, uh, it might be there. We just haven't seen it because it was like the eighteen. <laughs> She was the powerful force. I mean, Powder Blue, the only reason people know of that movie is because it's the first movie where she showed her breasts, like... 
Oh well, that's that goes against my point. It's the tainted film. It's a, she shows her breasts, and it's the last movie uh, Patrick Swayze was ever in. Um, are you familiar with Powder Blue? <laughs> no, I'm familiar with Patrick Swayze <laughs> and Jessica Biel. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, it it is what it is in terms of that, and I'm not defending that, but like, I think Joe Carnahan was just like. He probably wrote the action scenes for this and then pieced everything together from that point on. <laughs> um, the original A-Team's cast critiques of this movie, I don't really get. Like they say, it focuses too much on blood and sex. and it's There's like... not that much of either in it. Maybe they saw the extended cut that you refuse to watch. Because <laughs> <laughs> in this cut, there's really there's sexual tension between uh, uh, Bradley Cooper and Jessica Biel. But not even they, nobody has sex in this movie. I mean, And there's, there's not even like... You know, the scene where, like, you know, someone catches Jessica Bill's panties sneaking out of her outfit or anything like that. It's not like, yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, you know, there's they, they imply that Face was having sex with uh, the female guard and when he's yeah. in prison. And uh, and obviously he says he's had sex with the wife of, like, whatever. But in the show, which, you know, it's worth pointing out just because these are criticisms coming from the cast of the show. Mm-hmm. In the show, I mean, Face is supposed to be a playboy. Mm-hmm. So... Maybe it was less explicit because it's a TV show and it's the 80s. But it was still – the point was that he was the one that got around. So Armageddon is a dumb popcorn movie with one female character that made a lot of money. Really? Is Liv Tyler the only one? The only like prominent one. Yeah, maybe. Maybe if in this like – This movie's better than Armageddon though. I mean – Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe if, Liv, if uh, Jessica Biel was Hannibal's daughter and Face's girlfriend, <laughs> this would have done a lot better. Um, our friend is going to hate us for saying that. <laughs> you got Aerosmith to play the A-Team song. That's right. <laughs> um, But yeah, and uh, I mean, Jessica Biel does the most she can with this. And I, I, I've always felt that about her. She's not a bad actress. It's just everyone wants to cast her as the hot girl. Anybody that can come out of Seventh Heaven and still have a movie career after that. Touche. Like, uh, kudos to you. That's yeah. uh, Because it's not like you can be... I, dude, I could be wrong. I mean, I've I've I've, I've never watched like a whole episode of Seventh Heaven. I had but... to watch in um, junior high. There's one about the Holocaust, oh. and they made us watch that because I'm sure they, it was, I'm they sure thought it, it would subtle. appeal to us young kids. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it was very subtle and layered and complex, and it just it just hit every every potential issue. Yeah, head on. Um, I, I I learned the day that that the Holocaust was a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, but no, the the A team cast. I mean, they show up. I mean, not all of them, obviously. Like I told you, I think that the guy that played Hannibal had already passed away when the movie was made. Mm-hmm. But uh, so the guy that plays Face and the guy that played Murdoch, Dwight Schultz, who's also in Star Trek, and other yeah, movies. and Mister T refused to do a cameo because he just he was like, I look the same, and I don't want to make them look bad because they've all aged a lot. <laughs> uh, it's weird. They're in those scenes, like the post credits. So uh, I mean. Presumably, they read the script. They knew what they were getting into, and yeah. yet they were cool with showing the the post credit scenes. Well, and again, like I was telling you when we were recording, it was like if the movie had done well, I think their response would have been a lot different. <sighs> yeah, that's a shame because it's it's a fun movie, and I don't know. The only person I could see complaining is Mr. T for the things that I had said before about yeah. the way they treat the character. But the other two, I mean, this was just. It seems like the logical extension if you're taking these characters in this universe into the movies. Did you enjoy uh, Sherrod Copley? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Murdoch used to be my favorite character when I was watching the show. Uh And uh, I don't think this movie lets him down. This movie actually hits 
about the same note that the TV show always said, which is the TV show would constantly remind you that you may like Murdoch, but he's not the the heavy hitter. So always in the climax, Murdoch would have like very little to do. Yeah. You know, and this movie does the same thing. Murdoch just gets to wear a, a bag over his head and a bulletproof helmet in the big finale. And well, even in the, the big like mid scene where they're flying the tank, he's just kind of there. Right. He's yeah. just cracking jokes and yeah. whatever. It was... It was such a pleasure whenever the TV show would make a Murdoch-centric uh, episode. There's like a couple where uh, it would be him having the adventure and the, the, the rest of the team was like catching up with him. Uh, that would be cool. But, you know, the movie, it's, I think it does him justice. He's funny enough. Charlotte Copley is, is, is fine. He is... Uh, what an enigma. Charlotte Copley yeah. in his career? Not, not just Murdoch, but Charlotte Copley. Charlotte Copley, yeah, he's... The, the, I'm glad I have another movie now where I can say I like his performance. Okay. Because I did not care for him in uh, the follow-up to District 9. What's that called? Um, not Chappie. No. <laughs> Elysium. 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 I mean, it's not his fault. The movie's a mess, and he just adds to the mess. I well, like we've come to the, as a, as a As a world, we've come to the conclusion that Neil Bombeck hit gold <laughs> with District 9, right? Neil Bombeck. Was it Blombeck? <laughs> Is it, oh, maybe he is. Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> the guy that who directed guy. District 9. Yes, yeah. yeah. He's like, District 9 at this point, he's turned into the new uh, Nicholas Wendig Riff in, in terms of lightning in a bottle. <laughs> I like Chappie. Well, Chappie will be an episode, a future episode, because it's really low in the tomato meter. And uh, I actually, I can defend it. I, I but um, the legend was always that like he had never acted before District Nine, right? And and now he's just like, well, just keep doing well, what you and did. District Nine. He's incredible. He's great, and and he's great in this too. He but is. He's excellent. But yeah, then the, he, the range. I think the range that he has, at least from what the movies have. You seen, haven't just, seen the American Old Boy, have you? I haven't. He but, is painful in that. <laughs> but just because he's like super over the top, right? Just because like it's not a role that fits what he's capable of. But what is what? The, what does he do with the role? He's just like really over the top. Are you, are you familiar with the story of Old Boy? Uh, I mean, I haven't seen the original, but I know that uh, doesn't he eat like a calamari or something? Wow! <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should watch Old Boy, and then we'll come back. To this. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think he's excellent in this, and this was his follow up to District Nine, and I think like he's very likable and also believable in it, and then. You know, Rampage does what he can, and but they don't. Even though he has like the most important arc, at no point in the movie do they make the movie about him. Right, because the movie's about face. We just keep coming back to this <laughs> because it's Bradley Cooper. Right. No, I think, dude. I'm seriously, Bradley Cooper is huge Jackman of the A Team. He's the Wolverine. Uh, he's. It was if there was a franchise. Well, I'm more surprised. okay with it here because he's like going for it. Yeah, he seems happy that the, the first time we see him and the last time we see him, he closes the movie with a big shit-eating grin. Oh, dude, that first scene where he's like tied up by those federales and he's like, have your boy make me some quesadillas. <laughs> like, it's like, yes! He is, where are the, you now, B-Coop? That's in the trailer, too. Like, when he gets punched oh, really? and he's like, good morning. That's that's in the trailer. It's the first time you see his character in the trailer, I think. Liam Neeson, what do you think? He's good. He's yeah. good. He's he's great. He. Uh, I mean, he's obviously like one of the most polished actors still around. But yeah, he, but this isn't like taken two type shit. He's not just like. Okay, so he's not like wind the, up doll. the murdering machine that's just going and just. I just mean like delivering his lines. He's not just like someone like put him on. He's he's. When they announced the casting for this movie, when I found out, I, I mean, I was like that. That makes sense. 
you know, he comes across because he can come across as smart and ruthless and just I buy him as a chess master that's 10 steps ahead of everyone. So that was good, which is why it's a little bit of a letdown that in this last part of the movie, he just isn't. But but I still I buy it. I'm like, OK, that's where the movie decided to go. And really, if you're going to give him some sort of arc, I don't think the movie quite does it. But the idea that oh, this guy that's always ahead of the game suddenly has no moves yet left. Yeah. Uh, the, of course, the the right way of fixing that arc is just to say, and then he figures it out. But instead, Face figures it out for him. <laughs> and he just goes, "Good job, man. <laughs> Great plan." Let me call my bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, he's he's good. He's he's just solid. Uh, Liam Neeson is just so good. Uh, is uh, th- no Joe Carnahan didn't direct uh, the movie with the wolves, right? The Gray. That's not Joe Carnahan. No, is he? was. Was that Mangold? No, Joe Mangold. No, now it must be looked. But I was gonna say that is that movie, uh, The Gray, is more of a uh, just pure Neeson being a badass and being capable and being a great actor. Because sometimes it was something like Taken. You're like, oh, he's just being a badass, but it's not like he's gonna get an Oscar for this or any sort of recognition as a great actor. Yeah. But uh, same thing here. You know, he's just like he's fun, he's capable, but it's not like Prime Neeson. Prime Neeson is the Gray, uh, and the Gray was directed by. Wow, it doesn't show up right away. It's Gray with an. Oh no, there it is. It's not Gray with an A. It's Gray with an E, and it was directed by Joe Carnahan. I'm telling it was? you, yeah. All right, Neeson's his boy. I don't know why I thought of Mangold. I don't know because probably because we were talking about Copland. <laughs> yeah, earlier. we were talking about Copland. That's <laughs> why. Um, yeah, so that's cool. But see, that's Joe Carnahan saying, "Okay, do the popcorn one for me first, and then we'll do the the serious wolf movie for you, where you just get to be it's just you and the wolves and wilderness." Yeah, uh, I just think everything about this works, and you know all the little obvious glaring errors aside in terms of like one female character, all that kind of shit. Like the action sequences, action sequences in this are just fucking outstanding. Like, yeah, when, that shit with the tank is, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, now that we're in real talk, I can tell you that was, that was amazing. <laughs> I, even though I knew it was coming, I just, I enjoyed the hell out and of it. it. Like, it's just so perfect. Are they trying to shoot the drone? No, they're trying to fly <laughs> the tank. And then you get the Liam Neeson fire everything. <laughs> yeah, it was said, and yeah, they have the character types are just so well, defined. and the relationships it, between the four characters are very mm-hmm. well defined. And yeah, I mean uh, Brian Bloom Pike. I mean that guy, like his scene, like you said, in the car with Patrick Wilson is great. But outside of that, everything else is just kind of like oh. This guy's clearly supposed to be bad because look at his eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, I mean, let's just be a story arc where you know he kills again, and it's like the most celebrated <laughs> moment in the movie. It's like it Jesus. was so weird because you know from the very beginning when they they break him out and then he says that he's not killing anymore. So of course, I'm thinking, wow, that sets up that he's gonna kill again by the end of the movie. That is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> And then when he does, he just like brutally kills this guy by dumping him and like breaking his right. spine. Yeah, and then it's like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and then Hannibal just like gives him a cookie. It's like, <laughs> how you feeling? At peace. You just killed a man. <laughs> I mean, it was a guy that deserved it, but yeah. still, that was. Uh, 
it's a weird stance for a movie to take. Because usually they would at least pretend that all life is sacred or something. But at this point, they just didn't care. Yeah. So two things. Um, I guess three things. But two pertain to this movie in particular. Um, I am a huge fan of the opening credits. How it takes the first 20 minutes of the movie. Do you like that? Yes. I, okay. I, I, and it, how... because, because it earns it. A, a movie that spends the first real through the opening credits but it's just like bullshitting then that sucks but yeah. this movie actually there's i think it's a really good introduction to the characters it's a lot of fun it just it never drags so yeah it's worth it it's perfect because it pays off when he lights the cigar it does the pan out the directed by joe carnahan and then it puts the four title characters in a frame and says the a-team yep and like it's that thing of two like the pictures they use for it of all of them freaking out i thought that was great and uh secondly are you as remorseful as I am that we didn't get the sequel with John Hamm as the bad guy? Yes, because of John Hamm. I mean, if it was, it's a shame that I didn't get a sequel. But the fact that John Hamm was going to be the bad guy in the sequel, that makes it even worse that, that it didn't happen. Because John Hamm, he it's needs more movie John roles. Hamm. Exactly. Just him as a bad guy in the 18 movie. That is that is the right way to go. If you had Patrick Wilson being as awesome as he was in this movie, yeah. then that's how you step it up. Madman. So yeah, the you know, and box... then Helen Mirren for the third one. <laughs> Come here, rampage! <laughs> for you know, a box office of one hundred seventy-seven million isn't anything to really shake a stick at. But when your budget's one hundred ten, it was all based on the box office return. And I know uh, Bradley Cooper, Brian Bloom, and Carnahan all did in interviews. They had to you know, like to say, hey, a sequel is not going to happen because. There were really rabid fans of it, you know. I wasn't one of the people that was like fucking Beatlemania at the door, like waiting for it. But I, I loved it, and um, but it makes sense, you know. A movie like that with the cast involved, the budget it had, they probably were expecting minimum three hundred million dollar return. What if you had a bigger star playing BA? I don't know, man. Because but who would you have? Who? You can't say Josh Gad because this is one of those rare movies where maybe Josh Gad wouldn't be applicable without completely changing the nature and the tone of the story. All the people that I read that were rumored were all it was like Ice Cube, Fifty Cent, even even Ice Cube. Ice Cube is like, I mean, a bigger name. Obviously, he's made a bunch of movies. Yeah, but that wouldn't have really mattered. I mean, I mean, like I don't know who. Can you get The Rock to play BA? He's Samoan. That doesn't count. Right, but but he's a big star, and you know you're changing things. Uh, I don't know. And Helen Mirren plays Hannibal. <laughs> I don't know. I'm curious myself. What do you think? Was it just the A team was a re- like a retired joke at that point? Like what was it? No, it. I mean, because it's a good action movie, and obviously we, we're positive, both of us, that less accomplished action movies have done better. Yes. So, so it's not the craft. Is it the A-Team brand that nobody cared to go see a movie about a TV show in the 80s? That can't be right because they keep making those. So, you know, they keep making movies about old TV shows, which means that some of them make money. It's that weird fucking thing of when there's a mixed reaction to a movie, it doesn't do as well as if there's a very positive or very visceral reaction to a movie. And that's, like, tried and proven. I mean, like, if... The, if something's so bad that you got to go out and see it, 
if there's something so good, you got to go out and see it. But there's always movies like this. And, you know, our first two gray area episodes aren't really good examples in Scream 4 and um, Natural Born Killers. But there are movies like this that aren't bad movies, but because they're met with this feeling of, eh, that then, they don't do that well. Right. The average moviegoer, the one that, the, 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 People that don't go out on the first weekend, the opening weekend, and they're just like, okay, I guess I can skip it because exactly. nobody really seems to give a shit. Like, I'm sure Wild Hogs made a shit ton of money because everyone <laughs> was like, this is shit. Like, but, you know. But it's Travolta and Tim Allen. And- yeah, yeah, we have William H. Macy and he's wearing a do-rag. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. yeah. I think it was just a combination of things that just didn't work for the main public, which is unfortunate because people went to see this movie, they'd be like, holy shit, Patrick Wilson could be a bad guy in a Bond movie. Yes, yeah, he could just dye his hair white. He can be like Jonathan Price, and uh, I think tomorrow never dies. So the question now comes: Is Smoking Aces still Joe Conahan's masterpiece? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this is fun. This is this is you know, this is the casino to his Goodfellas. I think. Oh, oh, but you like Casino I better, like casino, right? Yeah, yeah, that's because you watch Casino first. But if you'd been like a normal person and watched them in order, <laughs> you'd see Goodfellas is the masterpiece as far as like mob movies. I think Casino is just like he's kind of doing the same thing. But you know, let's just go ahead and say it that uh, Smoking Aces is his taxi driver. He just, oh, there, there you go. Yeah, he just it, he started. He put this there and said, "Hey, this is going to be here forever." And, and then this is what this is his. Uh, uh, I mean, mean, it can't be the Departed because the Departed can't be actually. Mean streets. No, no. This Gangs is, in New York. This no. Well, kind of. I guess it's closest. It's, it's as epic as Gangs of New York, <laughs> definitely. Uh, sure. I mean, it could be his. I was gonna say it's his Kundun. <laughs> Very spiritual, you know. It talks about Gandhi and. But you know, and again, you know, to just go back to, I think Smoke and Aces is probably one of the rotten movies that we've ended up it's probably the rotten movie that we've ended up liking the most uh well there's also take me home tonight but this that that's good but like our stance on smoking aces is different in terms of like this is a dude that did something fucking went for it like smoking (laughs) aces is entertaining but like or excuse me uh take me home tonight's entertaining but smoking aces is just like fuck yeah dude like he made this thing and yeah 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 and that with the a-team you know he already had the source material provided so um, yeah, I think Smoking Aces is still his apex. Yeah, this is definitely, you know, better than anybody gives it credit for, at least uh, all, all of the naysayers. And uh, and then now that I, I remember that he did, he made The Grey, I mean, he just kept on trucking. The Grey is great. Have you seen it? Yeah. Okay, The Grey is, is it's a great movie. So Our friend and uh, former uh, podcast guest, Eddie, the year that came out, he had it as the number one movie of that year. But he'd seen like ten movies a year, so of course it's not really <laughs> the much of a. I agree, it's it's really good. But. It is, uh, isn't Dermot Maroney in that? Yeah, yeah, unrecognizable. I had to like, is that him? And I looked him up later. Yeah, I mean, Carnahan, Blossom, you know, is a guy that has a vision, and despite whether critics like it or not, keeps going for it. But it works, as opposed to like M Night Shyamalan, who just <laughs> keeps going back to the wrong well way too often. No, yeah, this is plenty fun. Um, it doesn't ex- it doesn't overstay its welcome. I think its runtime is fine. Um, the acting, all involved, and like I said, I probably have an unfair advantage in that I know Rampage's personality, and some people don't. But outside of that, you know, uh, Bradley Cooper's trying. 
and as much as we come back to that god bless him for that yeah and uh the guy from district nine great <laughs> that's i think after this that's i think maybe his life plan was like and then i do 18 movies for five years yeah and then i worry about it and then there weren't any sequels to the 18 movies so then he had to... i'm curious yeah exactly how far the plans went like if there was gonna be four movies or five or whatever right. it was gonna be. and then but then you know there are no sequels and he has to figure out what to do to pay the rent and then he ends up taking roles in like shitty movies uh he was in Maleficent. That was the last time I saw him. And uh, yeah, it, I mean, I'm not a fan of Maleficent to begin with the movie. And uh, he he starts off like low key, and you're like, wow, maybe Charlotte Copley's finally going for a subtle, very low key role. But then he turns into the bad guy, and he's over the top. And yeah. Oh, was that another badass Angelina Jolie movie? Yes, pretty much. He yeah. she turns into a dragon. So. So yeah, just before we get out of here, what what was the last thing that she was like truly powerful in? Changeling. Um, I really liked her in Changeling. Uh, you know, I I haven't I wanted to see her in that movie she did with uh, Brad Pitt, where they're like a married couple that's falling apart. It's like the new uh, Revolutionary Road, and I think she directed it. Maybe Mr. Mrs. It. Smith. No. <laughs> Is Brad Pitt in that one? Yeah, that's him, right? That's when they got together. Right, yeah. No, no, okay. They're in a new movie that came out last year. Okay, because Mr. and Mrs. Smith is really good. No, no, no. This is called, like, By the Sea or Beyond the Sea. Now, Beyond the Sea is a Kevin Spacey movie. It's something with the sea. Under the Sea? No. (laughs) She plays a mermaid. No, she... uh, But, yeah, her and and Brad Pitt play a couple that's, like, their relationship is falling apart. It got trashed by critics, and I just can't wait to watch it. It, uh, oh, okay. I was trying to get what you were saying. So it was trying to be Revolutionary Road in terms of like right. It, it, a marriage same falling idea. apart. Yes, yeah. But uh, instead, I don't know. It just got it got really bad reviews. It it was playing at the Arbor here for like a week, I think, and then it, wow. it went away. The trailer was just like them, like it was like a really sad song, and I think you just saw them like arguing and whatever. I don't know. It looks like, like it could be terrible, but but at least it's not her like kicking ass and taking names. So I'm like, sure, I'll watch it. She's a good actress. I just, you know, she's just. Oh, she's uh, great. Yeah, those just but those Wanted kind of movies. is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my I agreed. life. Agreed. And by then, I'd reached like Angelina Jolie as a badass overload. Yeah. Way before then, so. Um. And just so we have this on record, Revolutionary Road is a great film. It is a great film. Don't ask Eddie Straight, but yeah. Or Brandon Curtis. Oh, he doesn't like it either. Oh no, they yeah they both hate it. <sighs> I don't understand. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, it's not like fun. But it's not a happy movie. If you want their love story, go watch Titanic. <laughs> yes. If you want real life, <laughs> hit, oh, up, dude, hit up like, Sam Mendes. On Facebook, I, I, a friend of mine, I don't think she liked it when I said that the third uh, movie in the Sunset Trilogy, uh, which was Before Midnight. Mm-hmm. So it's not the Sunset Trilogy. It's Before tril- uh, Trilogy. Um, I said that one was the best. And she's like, why? Because she likes the first two. But not doesn't like the third one. I'm like, well, I mean, I understand the third one is the the hardest to watch because it's the saddest one. Yeah. But it does feel like a realistic extension of the story you were watching. Yeah. It does. Once they get together, well, more than likely there would be trouble in their relationship and they would have to deal with it. So. Oh, yeah. And that's what makes that movie great. But in terms of what I like, because I am a hopeless romantic. Batman, second one? Batman Mask of the Phantasm is my favorite <laughs> Batman movie. Yes. The second one is my favorite. 
I yeah, I think all three of them are great. I I just like the the third one a little better. <laughs> For those that don't know, me and Julio marathoned all three of them together one night. Yes, we started on opposite ends of the couch, <laughs> and then by the last movie, we were like holding each other and crying. Um, but yeah, the A Team. The A Team, good movie. Go yeah. watch it. It's a lot of fun. It's yeah, not forty seven percent is kind of silly, but it is indicative of what these type of movies. How they appeal to people. It's just like, eh. yeah, I think it's a solid, you know, to me, I'll give it like four stars. Yeah, the B plus. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Well, episode 30. I'm just exasperated at this point because I've waited so long to fucking do that movie. <laughs> um, but we do have the next few episodes planned out. Uh, episode 31 will be the 1989 Marvel superhero film, The Punisher, starring Dolph Lundgren. The one that started it all. Yes. And there were two or three other movies after that. Uh, then okay, so thirty-one is Punisher, thirty-two is It Follows. Maybe if we can get uh, Eddie Straight, because we're not doing It Follows without Eddie Straight. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so if Eddie's not on it, we'll do that thing you do. Okay. Because we just figured out that it's uh, it's high in the tomato. So episode meter. thirty-two will either be It Follows or that thing you do. Yes. Meaning episode 34 will either be It Follows or that thing Exactly. You do. Okay. And then 33 is? Valley of the Dolls. Yes. Yeah. So we've got quite the forecast ahead of us. And maybe a, a potentially a, a bonus episode. Correct. Yes. So in the month of, uh, in the month of August, we'll be doing a bonus episode uh, to um, celebrate the Conor McGregor-Nate Diaz fight. We will be doing Here Comes the Boom. Yes. The seminal MMA classic. Kevin James, as you've never seen him before, in a good movie. Because <laughs> I do believe it's a gray era. So, but even a Warrior, I think, is like a low 80s. Really? So, yeah, we yeah. couldn't do that. It's, I mean, Warriors, eh. I don't know what that was. <laughs> With Joel Edgerton. But, um, but yeah, um, forecast is laid out. I, I have a plug. Go for it. Uh, all right. So our friend and... Uh, past uh guest here on the show Corey Ari asked me to plug a movie that he is in that I actually have I've seen I saw it when it first premiered I think it was first premiered at a, at a film festival the movie's called Sacrament and it's not the sacrament that he's not in obviously it's the sacrament that he's in <laughs> there's two sacrament horror movies apparently this is the one directed and written by Sean Ewart Ewart I don't know how you pronounce his name Spelled E W E R T. I'll put a link to it on the webpage. But uh, yeah, Corey's in it. it. It's cool. Let me tell you about this movie, Alex. It's like, let's say, uh, it's the, like, think of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. but give it like, like the gay angle. So we're like, the characters, the, they're, they're gay, like the, the victims are gay, which is like, Kind of like the kind of thing that you don't see that much. And I think one of the reasons why it's gotten like so much recognition is because, yeah, you don't get to see gay protagonists in, in horror movies or in just like most movies in general. So it's kind of refreshing. Yeah. You're like, oh, is that slasher movie that I'm familiar with? But wait, oh, it's dudes kissing. And, you know, uh, so it's uh, about this community where there's like these cannibals that are like, uh, you know, eating people. And there's a lot of like cool shit going on. And, of course, our friend Corey is in it. And, of course, I hadn't really – I didn't know much about the movie. He just told me, okay, it's premiering. I knew that he'd been shooting it. And then he's like, hey, it's premiering at this festival. You should come. And it's like a – it's a gay film festival. So it's like films about, like, gay people. 
but I didn't know this. So I show up there and I, I go and it's like, oh, you haven't seen Chasing Amy, so you're not going to get this. But there's a scene in Chasing Amy where Jason Lee realizes that he's at the gay bar. And it's amazing because, you know, he has this smile coming to his face and he starts like clapping because he's like a lot of like women kissing everywhere. So this was kind of like similar where like I'm like I realize I look at the lineup of films and I, I just, you know, and I see what's playing. And then it just dawns on me that this is like, oh, all these movies are like with gay characters. And then I'm thinking, is Corey going to make out with the dude in this movie? Because that'll be amazing. Uh, it doesn't happen, though. He has like a separate storyline from everybody else. Uh He's like hunted by one of the killers, and uh, uh, it's it's really cool. Anyway, uh, and you know, I'm always I don't like telling people that I'm proud of them because it sounds really condescending. Like, and this is like your child. It's just, mm-hmm. it's always weird to come across as as not condescending when you're telling people that you're okay. proud of them. But but yeah, that was like I was so proud when I saw him like on the big screen, and he's just like acting his ass out, and you know, because I've I've done things with him, but they're like smaller projects, and then now here's like an actual horror movie. Yeah. Uh, just getting uh, tortured and just uh, savage in every which way and selling it. So that was that was pretty cool. Uh, so anyway, Sacrament is available to be bought at Walmart and I guess any other place that buys uh, sells DVDs. So you should look it up. Uh, I'm sure you can buy it online too. So we'll put the link up. Nice. That is my plug for the episode. My plug for the episode is uh, I buy a lot of movies. A lot of the time, and a lot of them stay in the shrink wrapping until I decide to watch them. Same thing happens to me. And recently, I decided to watch Maggie, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger and, the zombie movie, and Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. Oh, uh, she's in it. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's basically them. It's Arnold and um, what's her name, Abigail Breslin. Yes. It is tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend y'all buy and watch it. I got it at Target for five bucks on Blu-ray. Uh, last week, I just decided to watch it before bed, and it is really good. It kept you up. It was one of those movies you're like, I fall asleep while I'm watching it, and then it's rough. Up. It's it's not like uh, the premise is basically your standard apocalyptic zombie film, but uh, once bitten, there's six to eight weeks before the turn, and the way the society structured is once they turn. You euthanize them or you put them in quarantine. So the movie is Arnold dealing with how he's going to lose his daughter. And it's very strange to see him acting dramatic uh, yeah, Arnold. Yeah. Acting with a capital A. Yeah, it's but it's great. It's a really, really well-made film, and I do recommend it. Unless I told you I just watched Win-Win for the first time with Paul Giamatti. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot of good movies out there. Not right now, but like I mean to like go out and buy. I'm sure Finding Dory's good. I just haven't watched it yet. Uh, yeah, I mean... Pixar doesn't really make a bad movie. At, at best, it makes a disappointing movie. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I'm just stoked because you get to watch Dolph Lundgren. The Pun- you haven't seen it, have you? I the have Punisher? not seen it. I've oh, seen dude, all the other so Punisher good. movies. Oh, the two of them. That Naked are Dolph Lundgren playing praying in the sewer. It's amazing. Don't spoil it for me. Okay. Don't tell me Patrick Wilson is a bad guy. <laughs> no, there's nothing that good in it. But. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, that was the A-Team. That was episode 30. It's been a long journey thus far. Uh, we're not quite at the two-year anniversary yet. Um, we'll be there in October. But uh, for now, uh, anything else to add, Julio? Uh, just thank the festive years for the music. Our opening and outro song. We have uh, from their album, Don't Let Me Use You. Yes. Last Stand opens uh, our show, and Summer of 1999 closes our show. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I do believe that's going to do it for everything 
this week on The Contrarians, where we are right and you are wrong. We will catch you for episode 31, along with Dolph Lundgren for The Punisher. The summer of listening to the contrarians on your way out be sure to swing over to youtube.com backslash ovnio films that's o-v-n-i-o films and check out the new adventures of baby jesus a web series created and written by the contrarians very own julio Oliveira. <laughs>